and welcome. You're listening to Train Pop Culture, the only podcast to put enema in cinema. Now, uh, we're starting off, uh, what, we're starting off today with um, a Getting to Know You series, as we're going to do a series of podcasts uh, about getting to know you, and on that topic, you are listening to Johnson, and with me as always is... Friends. Strawn. Hi guys, I'm Kimbo. That is the most hello intro you've ever done. (laughs) It was so meek. It was like, hello, yes. (laughs) That that, that is my thoughts on how people will react to my decisions in this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Meekness shaped. Yeah. (laughs) So, back on topic. Uh, Let's jump on that segue. And as I said, this is going to be a series of, as we we like to think, getting to know you. It's going to be about sort of our interests and so on uh we're going to do a series the first one today is uh cinema films movies the the whole shebang of that sort of area whatever you call it uh and we'll start off uh, we've got a couple of topics today going to start off with the history uh well not the history of film that's on my own podcast we're going to do our own personal history with film so how it affected us what what we we did i'll give you an example so mine, I grew up practically living in films. When I was a kid at school, I had, I genuinely did have um, what what would now be called a Cineworld card. Uh, but for my local cinema, me and my mate used to go down every weekend. We'd get up really early. We'd start in the morning, 10 o'clock in the morning, and we'd just watch films uh, throughout the week at school as well. I'd sit down and watch films. Now, this love for me comes from the fact that my my mom and my dad are massive film buffs. I mean, they met at a film club. That's how much they were into it. And so I grew up in a history of films, like black and so I stuck. My dad had started me off in the black and white era because he, he loves um, Buster Keaton and Lauren Hardy, and uh, obviously that love's passed on to me. I absolutely adore them. But I think for yeah, for me it was always. It was always that I always was watching a film at some point. It, I'd, I'd always, there wouldn't have sort of a day go by when I wouldn't watch a film. I'd be, I'm, like, I'm like Tarantino in that respect. He's always, he was always watching films sort of daily. And that was very much for me. I know, and I'm quite odd for that. Uh, I am a massive, massive film nerd because of it. But um, yeah, and well, which is why I've, I'm going to plug again. I've got my own podcast coming out soon. Uh, and then there was film. But yeah, enough about me. What about you guys? <laughs> um, well, for me, kind of, um, and I think this might actually surprise you because I'm, I'm now kind of, I'm not quite the same level as you, Johnson. I think that's established <laughs> between the four of us, but I'm still kind of a bit of a film nerd, but that's something that came very late in like I was quite late to the party when I was a kid growing up I was sort of introduced to Disney and that inspired a lot of love for animated movies and just it it got me drawing um but I say like for me the love of actually watching a movie and indulging in cinema and getting into that world I was like 1920 before I really got into anything um, I used to kind of watch, this is like many, many moons ago with an, an ex-partner, 
we'd have a friend round at the weekends and we'd order takeaway and we'd drink some beers and we'd watch like two or three films any given night and it was like that every single week without fail and with their help I kind of discovered more obscure stuff so we weren't going to the cinema every week we were watching things that were released by I think it's a defunct company now it was shameless before but it's the sort of stuff that you see released by Arrow as a company now all the really shitty b-movies and slashes <laughs> the exploitation stuff and the black exploitation movies and crappy 70s jalo movies and then we started getting a little bit more finessed and we're watching Korean cinema so we were watching Old Boy and Sympathy for Lady Vengeance and watching a lot more world cinema um so yeah like it kind of my love really started when I was kind of 19 going on for 20 so I'm quite late to the party in terms of like being a bit obsessed with it all but over those kind of period over those years it the love kind of exploded in a very big way and I discovered types of cinema and movies and directors at Studio Ghibli was a bit of a late thing and I'm obsessed with it and whereas Anderson I'm a massive fan of Tarantino I've always been a fan of as when I was younger that was something that came with me when I because 19 year old me had kind of not long moved to Stoke um and I bought basically just Tarantino with me <laughs> that's the only thing <laughs> I had in my other than Disney I had Tarantino that's a very odd bedfellow really isn't it <laughs> on reflection two things you pair together I'd like to see a Disney animated version of a Tarantino film like I would pay to see that shit but other than that like everything for me I was quite a late developer but I'm now completely obsessed and get really engrossed and and just love getting lost in that world I think that's the point of it like you sort of get lost in it from like not so much for you but you just get lost in film especially like for you with Disney, you get lost in an early age and that's it. Then you, whether or not like you get into right, like film specific stuff, you're still into films from an early age. Like you, you know, Disney for a early age or whatever it is. For me, I like my first film memory is Disney and it's a, a dodgy copy of Aladdin on VHS. Yeah. <laughs> We all had a dodgy copy of some Disney film on VHS, didn't we? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's, that's the problem. <laughs> Mine had the holographic sticker that said it was authentic. <laughs> but I don't even know how they pulled that off. Because my, my brother at one point taped over part of the, the Aladdin VHS. So when the genie pops out the lamp, I had two minutes of Chris Evans on Big Breakfast. <laughs> and it was just like, well, that's not part of the film. <laughs> So I've that yet to see, I've yet to see Aladdin. Yeah, I've yet to see Aladdin now, without that clipping, because <laughs> like it's not my version of the film anymore. Like I remember that Chris Evans talking to geese on a Big Breakfast. <laughs> but I'm, I was sort of lucky in the sense that I was raised by my grandparents for the most part. So I was raised on Laurel and Hardy, like a Johnson was. Um, Way Out West is one of the iconic films of my youth. Um, When I say youth, I mean from the age of like knee-high upwards, and it's still part of my lexicon, shall we say, of... Knee-high upwards, so in the last five years. (laughs) Yeah, you've known me for about a New York minute, because I'm a short (laughs) arse. But yeah... I'm not wishing to make that joke, but I just thought I'd do it. (laughs) 
Yeah, I get picked off for being short, folks. It's uh, it's one of my uh, one of my traits. I have to wear moon boots, just so I'll look a little bit taller. But yeah, I think it's just it's ingrained in you from an early age. You you either enjoy film, either as, as like the cartoon aspect, like Disney stuff, or you enjoy black and white stuff. Or there's always something that sticks to you from an early age. Um, from my my brother, like going slightly off topic, it was, it was he hated. Scooby-Doo cartoon movies because they used to give him nightmares. Oh, bless and him. He, if, he, if he hears this podcast, he will kill me for this. <laughs> so I wasn't allowed to watch Scooby-Doo <clears throat> on Zombie Island after he watched it once. Oh, that's one of the best ones. It's, <laughs> it's, the, first, it's the first one where uh, Scooby, uh, Scooby-Doo finally actually go, you know what? We've been going since the 60s and we've never actually had uh, 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 well, actually, that's not true. They had thirteen ghosts of Scooby Doo, uh, but that was a spin-off. That doesn't count. That's not part of the canon. Cause, um, but yeah, uh, it was the first one where they went. You know, it's the first film. Yeah, rather. they tried to Disney yeah. and they tried to make like a yeah. thing. Yeah, uh, it was the first film one where they went. You know what? Let's actually put ghosts and stuff in it. Let's see what yeah. that does. And it worked really well. The soundtrack's awesome as well. Yeah. But bless him, like, if I'd say, like, we can't watch this because you're, you're terrified of it. Or watch Peter Pan instead. He goes, oh, no, that's rubbish, that is. Like, have you watched it? He goes, no. Oh. Put it on. He watched it. And we had to put it on then for the next two months. He watched it every night. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> so I could, like, from an early age, I could remember Peter Pan off the back of my hand. Like, it was just ridiculous. But anyway, I'm rambling on. I should let Kimbo talk. You don't need to let me talk. Mine. So... I don't like I didn't like films for ages. I remember my first film memory is my teacher in reception putting Lion King on. I was four, five, something like that. Oh, I had gorgeous. to get taken out. I had to get taken out of the class because I just cried hysterically for about ten minutes. Oh, is it the, is it the scene? Oh we yeah, of course it's the scene. Dad, Dad, get up. Hey, that will always be too soon. Yeah. I, so, so that that scarred me for a long time. Um, <laughs> my mum tried to get me back in film uh, with. She brought me all of the Land Before Times, Little Foot and Ducky. <gasps> yeah. To traumatise um, a child. <laughs> I mean, it worked. I loved dinosaurs. That got me into dinosaurs more than it got me into film. Um, and she got me this weird Tom and Jerry film that I barely remember, but it was a it was a trip. It was a trip. Um, you better remember, mate, because it was awful. That's why. Like, we don't talk about that one. It's like Spider-Man 3. We don't talk about it. <laughs> was that a Tom and Jerry film, did you say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It. They've done tons of them. So which one are you on about? There was one. <laughs> the, Tom lived under a bridge for a while, and Jerry was on some milk cartons because he was missing. <gasps> oh, my God. I know the one you're on. And they end up talking with a rapping dog or something like that. Not yeah, maybe yeah. Dog. Oh god, that was awful. Yeah, I know exactly the one you're off. Uh, yes. Oh god. Yeah. Okay. We don't talk about the um. Yeah. No. Oh my god. Withdrawn. What? Johnson just agreed with Strawn. We don't talk about that one. Yeah. That's like a. a moment. Podcast first, ladies and gentlemen. Podcast yeah. first. Wait, wait, no, no, no. God, it's twenty twenty. It's it's another sign. It's like another omen of the apocalypse. Like that's another yeah. one of the signs. 
Like there's Would a list of signs. With stone on cinema, the world yeah. is this actually going to end. The a stone tablet in years from now, like the, the next <laughs> civilization that goes like, oh, Johnson will agree with straw and just like carved into a fucking stone tablet that was carved like centuries yeah. ago. And like, who the fuck is straw and who the <laughs> fuck is Johnson? <laughs> Very crude carving of Johnson just going, it's not canon. <laughs> mm. Yeah, it's not canon. So, from the animated delights of my childhood, uh, then my nan used to take me to cinema, and Harry Potter came into existence, and I liked that. That was good. Not not many scary things in Harry Potter, to be honest. Pretty, pretty emotionally stable. Um, <laughs> yeah, famously emotionally okay. stable, that story about a child who's abused for most of his life. You say that unless you're massively arachnophobic like I am, in which case that series of films is nightmare fuel. <laughs> you forget I love animals. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah, you're one of those. Like, I yeah. love that. Like, spiders aren't animals, mate. Like, I'll, I'll fight this with anyone. Anything, anything with more than four legs isn't an animal. It's a beast from hell. <laughs> it's... Apart from octopuses, which came from space. We don't talk about that. That's ancient alien stuff. That's another day. <laughs> oh, not fuck. on this podcast. It's not for another yeah. day. Let me tell you. Not having any of your weird pink conspiracy theories. If ancient aliens makes on this podcast, I swear I'm going to do a full episode <laughs> on Paul Bale. We're going to have, gonna have a full hats on, folks. <laughs> we'll wear black and white for it. It'll be glorious. Anyway, back to films. That like was Men in Black. Hey! <laughs> Sorry, Kim, I couldn't resist, mate. You, you set me up for that one. The look of <laughs> disgust on <your> face. <laughs> you interrupted me, scumbag. Back Sorry. To my... Back to the most important points being made. Mine. Jesus. <laughs> Then me and Jane got Cine World cards, and Marvel happened, and now I love cinema again. But only like mainstream cinema. I'm not into this like weird indie shit. Ah, uh, hang on, sorry, I, I just need to finish twitching. Yep, no, I'm good. See, I think I probably I, I agree like um, that the Marvel universe really kicked uh, love for me into like the the commercial stuff again. I'd kind of veered off course a little bit I wasn't enjoying going to the cinema so much I stopped doing it it was something I did as a kid with my friends but it was more the going out not necessarily the love of going to watch a film um commercially like until the Marvel Universe went bang in a big way I didn't really enjoy going to the cinema so much so I think I straddle the the nice soft warm area between Johnson and Kimbo in that respect Phrasing. Yeah. But you know what I mean. Um, I just, yeah. I slither into that little gap between the two of you. I like yeah. the interstop and the, the world cinema, but like mm. me and Kimbo could legit go and watch something commercial together and have a really good time. Yeah. But I could go to like an indie cinema viewing with Johnson and have a really good time. Yeah. What was that comedy film we all saw together that the main room? Tag? Ta- uh, oh, yes. Um, yeah. Tag. Was- it was, was a tag, wasn't it? Yeah. Johnson is still currently it, by the way. He just keeps forgetting when we see each uh, other, and it's this, that is this true. between the four of us has been going on since since like, we saw like, the film. 
before it started because we saw the trailer and then started a game and it's still active. Johnson is currently it. Um, so, Kimbo, you're in trouble because you know that it was either me or Strawn that tagged Johnson. We can't remember which one. So, Kimbo, you are going to be it next. It's just Johnson's got to remember. That's absolute yeah. BS. If you can't remember, then you're both up for tagging. I think that... Is you, it a fact? If, if you two can't get your brains together and remember who to tag Johnson, then that's, your, that's on you. All best. Refer me. Oh. You're talking about like brain cells there lie with burns. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> between that film and now, to be fair. So I'm doing quite well to remember that Johnson was it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like when you lose the game, just everyone forgets about it. Fair. Yeah. Speaking oh, you were expecting a reaction like... there. Yeah, none of us are playing the game. Because it's no, no. Like I'm just, I was, I was making a point more than anything. Uh, all right, okay. <laughs> but speaking about things that lie with burns, why don't you segue us into our next topic? <laughs> um. So, in terms of like the next topic of discussion, um, we're going to be looking at like films that we are personally attached to. Um, that's something that kind of resonates with us that we'll go back to again and again, or like means something to us on a very personal level. Now, um, mine's going to sound super lame, um, so I sort of, please don't judge me, and I apologise deeply, but for me, it's Disney's The Little Mermaid, and I know that sounds kind of quite campy, and I think Johnson's going to be surprised. Yeah. Um, it's a, it's like a very commercial thing, that mouse got his paws into me early, but with that film, I remember seeing that, that's the first film I ever remember seeing, and in my head, I'm in a dark room with an auntie and so I felt like it was in the cinema but that's like 89 so I'd have been coming up for four so if I was at the cinema at four that's that's a very early memory but it could mm. have been around her first one I ever remember seeing anyway and just remember being absolutely hooked like that started my big love of Disney and it got me drawing and that is something that I've never let go of like I became obsessed with mermaids and I mean, you guys all know, like, I've got a stash of pinup girls upstairs and there's mm. a good third of it that's kind of nautical and a big chunk of the nautical stuff was all mermaids and it kind of really, it really grabbed me and it's something that's always stuck with me. I think this, the music for that film was incredible. The characters were interesting. It was so colourful and just, it kind of, it also, like, Ursula as an, a villain it made me realise that sometimes the bad guys are actually kind of cool in a really weird way. Like you didn't, you knew she was the bad guy and you know you didn't like her, but there was something actually quite cool about how intelligent she was. She was smart and she was sassy and she had kind of really cool little minions and she wasn't just like a an irrelevant thing just like it was there and then it was gone and then she was back and it wasn't developed like she was an established character so it kind of gave you a real early idea of like the bad guys are just as important to the storytelling as a good guy and mm -hmm. it, it got me completely hooked into Disney I started collecting Disney films like I'd get them for my birthday and for Christmas I'd get VHSs and then kind of like in later years when I came back to when I started kind of 
exploring more cinema and I found Studio Ghibli. The Ghibli films kind of reticked those little fuses that I had from being young and it made me happy again. And it gave me that feeling of being a kid and watching a Disney film. And so Disney for me is kind of as a broader thing is the thing I'm most personally attached to because it put massive keystones in not just my love of cinema, but in terms of my personality, I don't think I'd have ended up moving to Stoke and doing the degree I did if I'd not started drawing as a kid and just fell in love with like wanting to recreate these creatures and these characters like it was such a well put together universe and particularly like the little mermaid talking animals was just like completely mm. awesome like it was just ace so that film for me kind of started a ball rolling that would lose a bit of steam but pick back up in later life for me it just it meant the world to me as a as a starting point outside of that like i watched the rocky horror picture show at like 9 which is far mm. too young that film and explains a lot about me as a human being now. <laughs> Never been yeah, more confused about Tim Curry in that film. Um, yeah. I'm gonna be, I'm gonna pretend I was older when I than about that age when I watched it, but that'd be a lie as well. <laughs> we all watched that film far too young, or yeah. came to it then. There's there's nothing in between. Like you don't watch it at the right age. You're either far too young, or you get to it later on in life. Yeah. Um, but yeah, for me, like the. I know it sounds a bit twee, but realistically, The Little Mermaid for me set a massive part of my personality in progress and set a keystone for what I enjoy from an animated movie. Like well-detailed characters and the colour and the vibrancy and a good a good score, like music to me in a movie became an important part of a movie for me. It wasn't just a throwaway thing. It wasn't just background noise. Music in a film became important. The, the sub-characters became important. The villains became exciting. And that's, I think, that film kind of created my tick boxes for later on in life enjoyment. I think what you've just said there basically sets me up for... I've got to mention two films for this sense because one is based on the music aspect. And one is based on like, the personal connection from me. So it'll be no surprise that the musical aspect will be, it'll be Transformers, the original 1986 movie. Sweet. That film set me up for like the music I'm into now. It's that 80s sort of feel-good music. Mm-hmm. And I watched that not long after I watched Aladdin. So yeah. I was very young. And I was like Kimbo. I cried my eyes out watching Optimus die rather than watching... Um, Mufasa. Mufasa. Thank you. Oh, interest. Just a little aside. Interesting fact. You know that the reason in the GI Joe film that um, the main character doesn't die when he's actually when he was actually filmed being killed and the dialogue had him die, they had to re-edit. They had to redub it later. The reason they did that is because of the Transformers film. The backlash they got for killing Optimus Prime was that bad that they realised they went, ah, oh, yeah, we're not doing this. So they, it was so hilarious because there's a bit right at the end of the film, no one's speaking, you just hear from someone from off screen, by the way, the general's come out of his coma, out of nowhere, and it's just like, <laughs> oh, that's how they get round it, it's like bloody hell. Yeah, that was the thing, though. Like with Transformers, it was one of those things where it wasn't... It was, it was marketing to its peak. Like, it was meant to be 
an advert for new toys coming out. So they had to kill off the characters. That's why so many Transformers died in the first 10 minutes. It was like, right, they're dead. By the way, here's some new characters you can buy toys off in the coming months. Yeah. So it was, it was just a toy advert for kids, and I massively bought into that. But the Name film... me one 80s cartoon that wasn't a toy advert first. Well, yeah, but Transformers was made off the back of the toys. So so was He-Man. So was Jason the World Warriors. So was G.I. Yeah. Joe. So I'll carry I can carry on with that one. <laughs> Yeah, um, but it seems like a personal comment. <laughs> I'm just mocking Johnson. It's canon. Um, in terms of a personal connection film for me, and you guys will know this, but the listeners won't, and it's Interstate 60. Yeah. Um, that film for me, it sort of redefined what life was. It gave like It helped me understand life. It gave... I understood what life was meant to mean thanks to that film because it was it basically went like there's no universal meaning to life. The meaning is what you assign it. And you make your own stories and make life what it is. And that's what made that entire film for me. As much as people will disagree with me, to me it's perfect. It got me out of a very dark place, it helped me out massively, and I still to this day I'll I'll binge watch that. I can watch it three or four times a day. I don't, but I could do. Um, but yeah, Interstate 60, it was, it was a, basically a passion project. It, it's got the guys from, uh, it's got Christopher Lloyd in, it's got, uh, oh Christ, I can't remember the fucking names now. Gary Oldman, it's, it's, it's like, it's, it's an all-star cast, but it's, no one knows it. It was released in like 2003, 2002-ish. Um, but yeah, it's just a phenomenal film, like, as, and people will shit on it, because it's not Like mainstream, I don't, think, I don't think there's anything to shit on that film for. Like, it wasn't something that I was aware existed until we had a conversation and you, you shared yeah. that with us. But I know there's issues with it. I'm well aware there's issues with it, but for me, it's it's one of those films like you. I ignore those issues because I'm like I'm so enamoured with the film and I, I love it to bits. But yeah, like Interstate 60 is for me. It's my perfect. It's where I go to if I'm feeling like shit in one day. I'll just put that on and I'm happy again. <laughs> and that, that's really what personal connection to a film really is all about. Yeah. It, like, it leapt at you. It meant something personal to you that it couldn't possibly mean to anyone else. And that's why it's on your list. Yeah. I was going through like a very dark time in my like late, like mid to late teens when I found it. Um, and it's just sort of like it reaffirmed life for me. And that's, that's why I'll always love it. It'll always hold a special place in my heart. Yeah, it might be fucking universal renowned. I'm, I'm sort of thankful for that because it, it means that like those who know about it appreciate it. Yeah, mm. it's not like a, it's not like a Marvel film or a Disney film or whatever. It was it was basically just a passion project filmed by a bunch of guys who were called on favors, and it was done perfectly for me. I know there's issues with it, but I don't talk about those issues because it's the yeah, bullshit. Well. Kimbo. I'm glad you did two films, Sean, because I need to talk about two films, because I really couldn't decide. You're so, welcome, thanks, mate. You're thanks, very much thanks, for, thanks for bailing me. Okay, so what? looking back at what I'm personally connected to, made me realise my favourite films are basically built on a firm relationship between two characters. A solid... That is the building, that is the base of all of my favourite films. From Iron Man to Hangover 1, the other two are shit. 
I'm sorry, <laughs> but they are. Oh yeah. <laughs> two, yeah. Two. Two. Two is basically one again, but it's in a different country. And then three. Three is just what on earth were they thinking? How is it's? It wasn't. If I remember rightly, it wasn't even a hangover. They just got roped into doing a a a, a, a heist or something. It's like. This isn't the hangover. Well, never mind. Sorry, carry on. Interrupted. It's okay, Johnson. I forgive you. The two films I want to talk about. One, I can't watch when I'm feeling sad because it makes me feel sadder. So I don't have that level of personal connection. But I feel like, like Sean says, it kind of reaffirmed things in my life and how I mentally approach things. And that was 500 Days of Summer. I absolutely love that film. That film means so much to me. Like, I don't even remember why I watched it the first time. I, probably an X. It's 100% probably an X. <laughs> but it, it like reaffirmed that being a good guy doesn't mean you miss out on things. And that's kind of what I've built my life around. All because, spoilers for 500 Days of Summer, if you've not seen it, you probably won't now. So, the fact the guy doesn't get the girl in the end and gets a different girl, just re- it shows there's more. All because one person doesn't appreciate you for you doesn't mean that there isn't somebody who will. And at that time in my life, that's kind of what I needed to hear. Um, and now I'm very lucky to have somebody who appreciates me for me because I didn't just give up on the first person who didn't. Um, that got heavy and serious. Let me talk about the other one, because that's silly. Scott Pilgrim vs. <laughs> the World. Holy shit, I love that film. It's stupid. It's, <laughs> it's so stupid. It's so stupid. It's a stupid film. The books are even stupider, but the film is stupid. But I love it. Like Scott's relationship with Knives, uh, with Ramona, and with the drummer girl, I can't remember a damn name. Mm-hmm. It, yeah. It defines the film. People won't remember like his relationship with Drummer Girl, but the fact they've got that kind of bond that she just calls him out on his shit, yeah, tells him you know, buck up, buck up. It. He surrounded himself with the right people for the right situations, and even though he made shitty mistakes, he was able to recover from it and be a good person. And then the action scenes are just absolutely stupid. The vegan, the oh. vegan. Oh. <sighs> I'm not the same one because. Oh, if... I, I just love the line that takes him out in the end. What? You mean chicken isn't vegan? <laughs> <laughs> if you listen to this whole podcast and only watch one film, please watch Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. This has been Kimbo's PSA. Thank you. <laughs> to be fair, though, dude, it is a solid film. Like, it is stupid. Mm. It's not necessarily for everyone, but yeah. if you watch it and you enjoy it, you're going to really enjoy it. You're not going to kind of, you're going to go into it either coming out going, yeah, or being really passionately like enjoying it. And it is, it is really good. And I, I liked, I think my favorite relationship in it is what you said, like the fact that the, the drummer girl, she's like a really good illustration of what most guys' strong female friends are. They can have been emotionally close, but that doesn't necessarily mean they need to bang. And yeah. she will call you out when you're being a prick. And that's like, it was a really nice 
it was a nice representation of like a guy and a girl that are genuinely just friends. Like there may have been a history, but it's irrelevant. They've been able to be friends since and their friendship is just, it's brutal and it's honest. She will just kind of like absolutely call him out on shit. And it's, I, I really enjoyed that. I thought their dynamic was really fun. In a really stupid film, you had this little microcosm of reality in a very cartoony way. And it was just really, really cool. Mm-hmm. I'm all about a strong female role in a film. Like I think it's quite, it's nice when it's not just like, a, oh, but I love him. How yeah. sad am I that he doesn't love me? Like in the same way, both like your 500 Days of Summer and Scott Pilgrim established like being a good guy doesn't mean you lose. Like for me, the the fact that she is like a, I don't take you shit. I'm not just going to fawn over you because you're a boy is equally as important. Mm. It's a good, it's a good example of showing aspects of both kind of gender roles in inverted commas that are meant to be established and safe and the things that you follow. They don't have to be. The good guy doesn't always lose the girl that's strong willed and maybe a bit mouthy and maybe a bit blunt and maybe a bit honest isn't the wrong girl to be friends with. She will have your back just as much as some fawning waif that's in love with you. Whilst you were talking that and I was listening very intently, I also psychoanalyzed myself. So I've just realized both of those films is basically man jumping through hoop for approval. And the fact that two of my favorite films possibly says a little bit too much about it. <laughs> But I'm, was, I'm glad you said that, mate. Yeah, when you because when you gave the end, yeah, when you said the ending to Five Hundred Days of Summer, and then the next one was Scott Pilgrim, I went, that's basically the same, but in cartoon form. <laughs> but yeah, I, this is and my response to the Scott Pilgrim is really good, and this is where my cinema snobness comes out. Is that uh, I actually pl- prefer the alternate ending. No, uh, it, you know where he actually gets together with knives because that makes a lot more sense than getting together with Ro- uh, Ramona. Ramona, what's her name? Ramona. Ramona, yeah. Rom- Ramona's from Doctor Who. Fucking bloody hell. No, um, yeah, it, it makes more sense to get back together with knives than to be with Ramona because she was. I th- it, if it had, it would have made the film almost perfect because then you would have been like, see. see this girl made him jump through hoops, but she wasn't. She didn't seem that too that interested in him. But he was also a bit of a knob sometimes, and they seemed a bit mismatched. And I, I was hope, I was hoping that he'd jump through all these hoops and suddenly realise right at the end, hang on a sec, the right girl was I was with all 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 along, you know that sort of realisation that, you know, it took, and then he ends up with knives. I think, though, with the way they handled Knives in that situation, I I agree with you to a degree. But the fact that Knives was just like, no, do you know what? Like, be happy with her. I'm not actually... You got that kind of vibe where she went... You'd seen her, like, completely besotted with him. Mm. And then it gets to a point where she's just like, do you know what? No, you're going to be happier with her. And I'm not going to be as happy with you as you're going to be with her. And I don't actually need to be with you to be happy. She had that moment where she was like, no, you go do you, babe. I'm I'm quite all right as I am. That's fine. It was that balanced off the fact that he ended up getting the girl that he jumped through the hoops for. I think the way that they handled how Knives 
adulted in that situation went you know what actually no I'm I'm okay you you go do you babe Mm. it it was it was quite an adult thing like an adult mind place to be to be able to kind of say step away yeah I see where you're going you're wrong but I see where you no uh, no I do see where you're going and yeah there's 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 points to it but I think we are getting a a a bit off track yeah Jimbo just final point I would like to make before we segue to somebody else. Knives' character growth in Scott Pilgrim is possibly one of the most underappreciated aspects of Scott Pilgrim. Scott mm. Scott doesn't grow as a character throughout the whole damn thing. Like They try to make it look like he grows. He doesn't. Scott is still the same Scott that's died. He realises he's a dick sometimes, but he is still the dick sometimes Scott at the end. Yeah. Knives goes from being a besotted child to a woman making adult decisions by the end of the film. Yeah, I think, I think Knives' character growth is way more important than Scott realising that Ramona is the wrong girl the whole time. And it kind of makes the whole film redundant at that point, because it's just Scott's personal journey. I prefer Knives' personal journey. But Johnson, <laughs> you can talk about your films now. <laughs> Why, how gracious of you. Thank you. <laughs> so, yeah, so... No, thank you, Kimbo, graciously passing it over to myself after that. Yeah, um, I, I, see, I I couldn't choose. I'm, I was like, yeah, Storm and Kimbo, I really couldn't choose, and I had to put it down uh, eventually to uh, to three, because uh, I just couldn't do it. One is Monty Python and the Holy Grail. I watched that when I was pro. I watched that when I was proper young. My uh, dad show uh, my mum actually so not my dad show, introduced me to it and it kicked off my love of um monty python generally but it was just watching it as a, a child it was just so surreal and so odd but it, even as a kid it still had me still had me laughing and then of course you watch it as you grow up and different things about it makes you laugh because it's there's so many layered jokes throughout the whole thing there's the obvious kid this obvious um kid ones where it's uh, like the animator the animator suffering a, suffering a fatal heart attack which is how they get away from the beast rather than defeating the beast uh, that's a brilliant one or adult ones where they're actively talking about um, f- um, philosophical politics um, over beating up a man in the mud I, it, it was just again it was that sort of the sort of brilliance of python and it was that sort of that spoke to me as a child and really got me into sort of surreal. Uh, sort of started getting me into this sort of surreal comedy and uh, strangeness that sort of followed me <laughs> throughout my film love. Another one on the same sort of thing because it was at the same time, but it was by Terry Gilliam and it was Time Bandits. And again, such an odd film, but absolutely hilarious and just so brilliant i mean that it's god's little helpers steal god's map to creation and have to keep hiding at different time periods in history in order to rob the places so that they can live like kings and of course every so often god finds out and turns up uh but yeah it was that one spoke to me again because it was just so so weird weird and watching david warner play the ultimate evil but in this sort of um sort of resigned in some aspects resigned to his post but 
not because he's surrounded by idiot minions himself. And yeah, no, I absolutely really loved it. And the third one, and again, it's thanks to my parents. It, and I know it's not the best in the series by a long shot, and G fans will be screaming listening to this, but it's uh, Destroy All Monsters. It's the Godzilla Destroy All Monsters. It's it's my favourite because it was the first one I ever saw. It was the one that introduced me to uh, Japanese kaiju films in general, sort of the, the whole Japanese uh, cinema. And it was just because it was just so... It was... I was introduced as John. It was just so different to anything I'd ever watched. Just these huge creatures. Just it's a load of just these huge creatures smashing through, you know, smashing through cities, and then the the aliens turn turn up saying they're actually peaceful, but then they're not. And it's and then yeah, it was just that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I realised I was going to just carry on, and there would be nothing but me talking about my love of <laughs> Japanese cinema if I didn't. Stop now, mate. It's it's fine. Um, I would say that like that's why I didn't mention Python. Like I watched Python from a very early age, but I think Python is like being Brits ourselves. It's just ingrained into you. Like it's just one of those things. Yeah. I know Kimbo might disagree, um, but for the most part, like it's just a it's a British way of like it's a British institution. It's like drinking tea or yeah all that's it's basically it's one of those things that like it's just ingrained in the british dna it's it's it's, it's like uh the two ronnies it's dad's yeah. army and it's, all sorts of, it's all those things put in cinematic form because i watched uh meaning of life from a, from a young age and i think that's that was my education of sex thanks to that film <laughs> oh, because God. i yeah i asked my mother what sex was and she went it's what comes after five oh. She was not going to like mentioning anything. Yeah, she was not going to like mentioning anything about sex to me. But yeah, Python is ingrained. Sorry, Kimbo. I would like to add that we've said multiple times that everyone has seen a film what it's ingrained in life. I've not seen Python. I've not seen uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show. Not seen Dad's Army. Not seen the Two Ronnies. I'm basically the anti-Brit. My first British comedy I remember is Bottom, and um, saying that I'd rather not, I'd rather stick my bollocks in a beehive, which I still use as an effective <laughs> quote today. Oh, bottom kinky. is for another podcast, mate. Bottom is the type of another podcast. Bottom is. Am I kinky? <laughs> Sorry, but I, 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 well, in more ways than one, I love Bottom. Bottom is for another podcast, and I, I wholeheartedly agree, like Kimbo, because I didn't watch Rocky Horror until I was. 18, 19, and I know the other two guys in this podcast will fucking vilify me for this, but I hated it. Get I'd, out. I'd, no, because I'd... It's not for everyone, it though, was, is it? It's very Marmite. Yeah. It was based like... And again, I'll be vilified for this comment, but I'd waited so long to see it, and I'd, I'd heard all the hype, and I'd watched it, it was like uh... it did live up to the hype. So it was, it was like an earlier rendition for me, and don't hit us the wrong way, listeners, fellow co-hosts. I had the same issue with Dark Knight Rises. Uh, not Dark Knight Rises, Dark Knight. I'd heard all the hype. Yes. I, I, I was about to like follow you up and say, yeah, that's how I felt about Dark Knight Rises. But yeah. then you've said it. Too Dark many Knight. 
too many people picked that shit up, man. It was a, yeah. it's a very good Batman film. It's yeah. not part of me preferred Batfleck to, to that Batman. I'm just going to leave that there and back slowly yeah. away from the conversation. Goodbye. I think there's going to be films that everybody has exactly the same reaction to. Like Gladiator, I didn't watch at the time because everybody told me it was, the, it was a masterpiece and I had to see it. And then by the time I did come around to seeing it, I was like, it's all right. I'm not sure why everybody was like sliding off their stools about it, but it's all right. And I had the same problem. I can't watch that film without crying. I still cry watching that film. It's, it is an absolutely beautiful film. And I don't want them to make the sequel because it'll just ruin it. It'll ruin the franchise. Like, why make a yeah. sequel 20 years yeah, well, plus after when it came out? It's also why make a sequel when it's a completely enclosed story. Yeah. Guys, start. It's because it's it's his it's his it's his complete journey. You don't need to know what happens after. You don't need to know the ramifications of his uprising. You just yeah. need to know that he started as a general, fell, worked his way back up, took you know a, a general that took a general that um, defended a dead emperor, a, uh, becomes a slave that defied an emperor. You see, that's the complete journey. You don't yeah. need anything. It's completely sealed. I don't. So, yeah. How can you do a sequel? But slightly going back onto what we're talking about, like as in personal connections. Gladiator for me is a personal connection. Um, it's one. I, as I said before, I'm grandparent raised. It's one of the few films I remember watching with my nan before she passed away, and it still holds a very like special place in my heart. So yeah, like. I remember being on Sky Box Office and she paid for it. And it was like one of those things like, Christ, my nan's paid for a film on Sky Box Office. Like, <laughs> that's yeah. a massive deal. But she's like, oh, I love Russell Crowe. If she'd have been around still now, she probably wouldn't think the same thing. But <laughs> like, <laughs> it's one of those things. Fighting it's like, around the world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just one of those things like you, you hold special, you hold certain pieces of art or whatever in, in your heart. like. Mm. As the series is like we, we each talk about different things and different topics during this next series of podcasts glad it will, will always be for me it's not one of the, the, the films I think first but when we start talking about it, I'm like holy shit like that is one of the films that like I remember being on the sofa feeling really sick as a child of the age of like 10 or 11 and my nan put it on and we sat there and we watched it at like midnight until like three in the four, two in the morning, and she fell asleep in her chair, and I fell asleep on the sofa. And we're going to walk to the next morning with like, for Christ's sake, you pair. <laughs> but I'll, I'll end my uh, personal connections there, Burns. I mean, I I tried super hard to stay on spec, and I picked one film. Fuck you guys. Um, <laughs> but, um, I did really well. Like I had like. Four choices for Hades when we did the Hercules thing, and yeah. now I'm like, I really worked hard to pick one, but you've all picked more than one, so fuck you. I'm jumping back in, and off the back of what Johnson was saying, that Python, like I know Kimbo, it's not necessarily for you, but I think that might be, um, you are the the youngest in the group, and I think it could be just a generational thing. Um, but I, I like Strawn was I spent most of my childhood at my grandparents. I, they were a massive part of my upbringing and a lot of who I am now has a lot to do with my relationship with my nan and my granddad, particularly my granddad. I'm slowly turning into him. Um, but I remember sitting 
up at night on like curled up on an armchair with my granddad watching Life of Brian for the first time too young to really appreciate the adult jokes but every time Mm -hmm. I come back to Life of Brian I laugh at something new and I get something out of it and it really Life of Brian and I remember Life of Brian going on first and then I started he kind of introduced me to British comedy uh so it was like are oh, you being served in dad's army and the low low and just more python stuff and but life of brian as a movie is something i vividly remember being curled up on my granddad's knee as a kid watching and thinking was hilarious and not really understanding why and it's something that as i've got older i've appreciated more and more and i'll always love that film because for me that film is me sat on my granddad's knee laughing and he had this infectious laugh and I'll hear it every time I watch it. Like, I'll laugh and I'll hear him laughing in my head and it will always be so important to me. And it also <laughs> really shapes my love of comedy and what comedy is for me as an individual because comedy so, is so objective and what some people find hilarious, other people, it just falls flat, it doesn't land. Um, but seeing Life of Brian really early on made me appreciate comedy that is a bit left of centre and a bit abstract and then you've got like now you could I can draw my love of Eddie Izzard directly back to my first kind of grown-up film was Life mm. of Brian with my granddad my granddad gave me my adult sensibilities in terms of comedy so that was a gift he gave me that I'll always have and I'll always love watching Life of Brian I can put that on at any given time and I will feel better and it will link back to a very specific time of my life where I felt safe and loved and happy and I'll hear his laugh in my head and everything will be okay just for the duration of that film so cinema in that sense I think as a personal connection it can have really deep roots if you see something at exactly the right time in your life like what Kimbo was saying with like mm-hmm. 500 days of summer it was exactly what he needed at that exact moment in his life it's not necessarily a film you can watch all the time because it will make him feel sad. Um, there are films like I will just cry like a bitch at, but in terms of something that's really deep rooted for me, Life of Brian, I think, has a deeper personal connection than any other film I've watched because it immediately transports me back in time and I hear a specific man's laugh and I feel happy and it helped me grow into the adult that I am and the humour that I use in day-to-day life, like my sarcasm and my little obscure references, it's all down to that one man giving me that one film, and that one film was a complete gift. And regardless of how you can pick it apart technically or whether or not it's just silly, Life of Brian, for me, is a perfect film. It's just awesome, and it will always be a perfect film. And that's with blinkers on and rose-tinted glasses on. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, and building on that, what you just said, being like going back in time, um, the next type of conversation sort of links in with this for me. So, when I wasn't as old enough to watch this film, I watched it, but listeners and you three will know a director called Kevin Smith. Um, yeah. When I was quite young, a bit too young to watch this film, I, I saw Dogma. Fast forward. Yeah what 13 
plus years, I want to say. <laughs> like, I'm not quite sure anymore because of fucking time. Um, the latest film I've seen that I've really enjoyed is the James Hunt Bob reboot. <laughs> and for me, that, that film, like, I still can't watch it without crying with laughter. It's another plush rush for me. Like, it, I see Matt Damon's face deliver that line in that film. And I will still cry laughing. <laughs> it is fucking brilliant. It's such a throwaway line, but it's brilliant. Yeah, it's a throwaway cameo more than anything, but it's just, yeah, it's brilliant. Um, but yeah, I think obviously watching Dogma from like too young an age to understand what was going on, but remembering the characters, Jane Silent Bob, and then growing up slowly and figuring out who these characters are and what this cinematic universe is, and then finding out that Kevin Smith is this guy who's made all these films. He's done something back in 93, 94, which is Clerks to, through to now, which is Jane Silent Bob Reboot. Jane Silent Bob Reboot to me, which is the latest film in the franchise. You can call it franchise, right? Like it's a, it's a view of skin of it. It's, 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 the Jersey, it's the Jersey stories. Literally yeah, calls view, it. View, no, he calls it the view of skin of it. I thought, originally, I thought he called it the, the New Jersey, New Jersey Chronicles. Yeah, no, that was he, it. He it changed was it to the, the Viewers Universe because he, he oh. tries to retcon them. So, like, if you look at James Hunt, James Reboot, he retcons stuff so that the the guy out of Zach and Mary make a porno mm. is the lawyer in James Hunt Reboot, <laughs> but Kevin doesn't own the rights to Zach and Mary make a porno. Yeah, so he's basically gone like, look, I can't make it official but I can shoehorn that character unofficially into my view of Skinniverse. And that film for me, that was Kevin going, this is a massive fan service. Like if you're, if you are as much as I am like a a massive nerd, I am more of a Kevin Smith than anything else. Oh, absolutely. Mm. He, he basically shoehorned in and rightfully so, and did it tastefully. There's, there's cameos in that film that if you don't know everything about Kevin Smith, you wouldn't admit, you wouldn't notice them. But everything from the yeah. guy flipping burgers in movies, who is his co-host on Education podcast, to the guy whose credit card they steal, who's his co-host on Hollywood Babylon, his daughter being in it, his wife being in it, like all the past characters of all the old films, apart from Jeff Anderson, who is now okay with issues. He's had issues in the past. But that film for me, that was out of the past. And I'm going to be controversial here. About the past five years, that is the best film I've seen. And it's been the most enjoyable scene for, film for me. Because it's made, it's paid off like my long-term fanship, having that fan service. And that is my most recent film. Birds, you've got a comment. Yeah, I think like um, I know how excited you were when you heard that the Jane Silent Bob reboot was coming out. Yeah. And um, like he was just, he was like a three year old on Christmas Eve when he knows he's about to get that bike. That bike. Like, you know, it was, it was that level of pure childlike glee when he heard this was coming out. I think the only thing that that film lacked as a Smith fan was something that was completely unavoidable. Um, it would have been so nice to have had. Um, Alan Rickman in it. It's so sad mm. to watch 
around because I think that's the only thing that would have made it more perfect. But it is, it's a brilliant yeah, there film. Was, there was two it's cameos a... that were missing and Alan Rickman's one of them, the one with George Carlin. Yeah. Yeah. George Carlin was a massive part of Kevin's upbringing um, to the point where, like, Kevin watched the television special, like Seven Words You Can't Say on Television. <laughs> but he watched it in front of his mother, who was like a devout Catholic, and she was like, you can't show him this. Like, he's, he's like eight or whatever he was. Um, and I, I forgive my factual inaccuracies there, folks. Like, I, I don't know the exact details there, but she went like, you can't watch this. And his dad was like, oh, let him watch it. He enjoys it. Like, just let him carry on. He's been listening to Richard Pryor records. Like, let him watch this. And, but yeah, like, there's, there's two... Ca- they do a, do a tasteful about the Stanley cameo. Mm. But Alan Rickman and George Kine were two massive parts of Kevin's history. Um, yeah. He called them both dear friends. And, like, I felt awful that, like, they weren't here around to still be in it. Because he even... This is going slightly off tangent, but on tangent, if it makes sense. He agreed to be in the two Smith films that he's in. Three films, sorry, because he's in uh, James Hunt, Bobby Boots. He's in uh, James Hunt, Bob, Strike Back. He's in Dogma, and he's in Chasing, uh, not Chasing Game, Jersey Girl. He said, I'll star in these films if you write me a part where I'm a priest who, who um, murders children. <laughs> and Kevin went, yeah, Kevin went, I'll do it. But you need to do these three films first. Like I need to like establish myself first. Um, and he he got Stanley after the fact to go like right. I'm writing a new film. Will you star it? He goes yeah. Like as much as you've you've, you've ruined my fucking film record because you look at all the cameos I've done. It's all the Marvel films. They've all made millions. I've made more than Will Smith or whoever it was. It was Will I, Smith. He was yeah. I'm the highest grossing actor if you take it into account with what the, those films have made. Mm. And you look at all rats. And more rats is right yeah. at the bottom of that list. It's like, that film bombed. Like, what have you done to my career, Kev? And but Kev was just like, right, okay, I, I do apologise, but will you be in the next one? He's like, yeah, of course I fucking will. Like, you, you're my boy. Um, sadly, suddenly obviously passed away and it was just touching that they, they had a tribute, like when you go and they walk into Brody's comic book store and there's a, there's a portrait of Stan Lee with the sweater that he wore when he turned up at that show mm-hmm. back in Rats or whatever it was. Like there was a very specific sort of like Stanley cameo. And then one was wearing a Stanley t-shirt and one was wearing a George Collins. Like they were very, like very careful about the cameos. Yeah. It was an entire fan service film. It was basically like Kevin going, Luke, I've made a career out of this. I financed my first film on credit cards. If that had a flop, I'd have been bankrupt for the rest of my life. You guys made this possible. And after we'd had all these false promises of Clerks 3 and Mole Rats 2 that never materialised but are now being materialised thanks to various incidents we won't go into, um, we now, we, we've got James Albert reboot, and that was more so than anything else, that was Jay's reward for being sober. Yeah. And if that's not a mm-hmm. fucking, like a, a, like, a massive kudos from, like, a friend going, like, Luke, you've been sober so, for so many years. Here's a gift. Here's you playing the character I wrote specifically for you, which is you just being you on camera. Because you asked for this after, reboot, uh, after Strike Back. 
and it was like Kev's a fucking good guy. Like he appreciates his fans, he appreciates his co-workers. And I'm looking forward to whatever Kev does next. And that's why James Hall Reboot might be the most recent film in terms of like timeline for all of us. But it's the most recent film that really sung to me. And it was like, mm. yeah, it'll always be one of my, it'll be one of my top films. It really will. In terms of a a film made as a love letter to the fans, it's a perfect movie. Yeah. Apart from cameos that, sadly, those individuals are just not here to have been involved in. But you know, in a in a hot second, they'd have been on it. But yeah. Other forgive fans, forgive me if I'm wrong. There, it's a it's yeah. a love letter to the fans with every fan reference possible in that universe. Yeah. Forgive me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure he threw the Stanley cameo in the credits. The I interview can't... with on the IMDb boats. Potentially, I can't remember. I mean, I need to rewatch mm. a while, but yeah, that's me out. I'll pass over to Kimbo. Hi guys, I don't. I, I feel really shit following this now. Like I took the brief. <laughs> I took the brief super literal. And I was like, right, films I've seen. Most recent one that I actually enjoyed and didn't want to walk out the cinema. That one. That one was good. I enjoyed that. So I don't... But I feel like I want to go again. Um, no, I'll carry on. So... Sorry. If you want to... If you want to continue to... Nerd here, am I? Like, no, nor am I. This is counting... the issue. <laughs> yeah, but if we count chronologically, the last, like, film I saw was probably, like, It 2 or Joker or Zombie Double Tap, Zombieland Double Tap. But the film that I enjoyed to my very core will always be reboot. Fuck it, I'm going with it. So the last film I saw and liked that was out in cinema, because I've technically seen films on TV more recently, but, you know, logic, um, was <laughs> Birds of Prey. Um, I liked Birds of Prey. Johnson, you can't say words. Shut up. Um, it was, it was all right. Like it's got flaws, big flaws. And as a comic book fan, the flaws make me really sad. But if I sat there and go, would I watch Birds of Prey again? The answer would be yes. I laughed. I thought the girl who played Black Canary was really pretty, and the villains actually engaging, which is a nice change for DC. So, yeah, it's a good film. I have nothing really else to say. I'm not that emotionally attached to it. I just thought it was all right. But that's what the brief was, really, wasn't it? It was what was the last film, you, the most recent film you saw that you enjoyed. It was the most recent film you enjoyed. It doesn't have to be a perfect film, a great film, even a, a sensible film. If you sat down and enjoyed the film, there you go. That's, to, that's for you. Yeah. That is me signing yeah, out. I, mean, like, I'm done now. I, went, I went deep with it. I was like, that was the, like for me, reboot was the, the film I enjoyed the most out of the past like six months. That's mm. why I went so deep with it. Like I, I, I've enjoyed the ones that I've mentioned before. I enjoyed Zombieland Double Tap. I enjoyed it too. I enjoyed um, whatever the fuck I mentioned. I've been drinking, but <laughs> point was I enjoyed reboot the most. Like it was a full on like it was a nod to the fans. But I'll carry on. I'll let you guys. Yeah, well, uh, moving on. But yeah, no, I was for for me the last 
see, I got, I, I got a bit stuck because I've noticed in my, in my old age. You know, I'm only in my mid thirties, but still, and I've noticed myself becoming more, even more and more of a sort of a film, film critic. And I, I so mate, back in the like, the, back in the middle ages, you'd be old. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you'd be dead by now. Either by bubonic plague or whatever the fuck. Like you're old now. Yeah, but yeah. Boy, no, but I've, yeah, I've just noticed myself getting uh, quite a lot more sort of critical of films, and it's like with, um, for example, with uh, well, what's it called? Uh, Incredibles two. And it's like it was all right, but I found myself sort of rolling my eyes a few times. I was just, uh, and someone actually put it into context. So I was talking about it, saying, "Oh." Um, I got I got annoyed because they revealed who the bad guy was like halfway through the halfway through the film. They literally told you who the bad guy was halfway through the film, and someone just pointed out, goes, "Mate, kids' film." I was like, "Oh yeah, <laughs> maybe not take it so seriously." So I found myself finding it sort of properly sitting down and really. In- enjoying a film difficult and the last one i actually sat down and I, I found myself i actually can't i actually really enjoyed watching it and i can't overly find anything wrong with it which was 1917 it was such such a good film and i, I absolutely love the fact that it was all in one shot the entire film was like a play it was just one take and it it, it it was just really good. The story, uh, the story was um, quite. The story at least sort of gripped you enough to, and the the actors sort of made you care enough to follow what the story was. So, uh, if you if you haven't watched nineteen seventeen, uh, two guys, uh, well, one guy gets called into the uh, general's office and he brings his mate with him, and the general says, "Look, we've got this. We've got got information that the." Um, the information we've got on the Germans is completely wrong. So if this attack goes ahead, they're all uh, the entire part of this front is is dead. Is this spoiler free, John? Is this spoiler free? This one's spoiler free. It's literally the plot. So okay. it's not gonna. It's literally just the plot. So he says your brothers, um, your brothers also going to be in this attack. So I know it means a lot to you. Go take this, you know, these orders to the next general who's leading the attack. And get them to call it off, and it's about. Uh, so as I say, it's going to be spoiler free. It's literally just, and it's just them going across, halfway across um, the Somme to get to the uh, one of the other trenches, several, you know, so it's like tens of miles away on foot, and it's just all shot in one take, and it was an absolutely brilliant film. And but I found myself, it was, I found myself, it was like one of the last films. Uh, to actually sit down, I came out and I was blown away. I was like, wow, that's amazing. And I suddenly realised I haven't got any criticisms of this. I, you know, I can't find any holes in the cinematography, the acting, the pacing. I, I've got I've got little to nothing on this, you know, negative critically wise. And I was like, wow, that was written. So that sort of doubled up for me why I really enjoyed that film. I actually, <laughs> I actually could sit down and say, yeah, I can't find a fault in this film that was really good uh one before that was joker and again joker's just amazing as well 
But yeah, that was me. That was the last one I actually went to the cinema. The most recent film out that I sat down and really enjoyed. Sweet. Um, for me, like uh, it, it hit home that I've not watched anything that's been released so far in 2020. Um, as I've kind of said before, I'm not, I'm not a massive cinema goer. I kind of, I, I've got a very sporadic relationship with physically going to the cinema. Um, so, and then with the situation, how it's been this year, cinema going hasn't been an option. Um, so it kind of made me have to think about stuff that was released 2019. Um, I was looking over like 2019 releases. We were kind of spoiled. It was a very good year. Like we had Shazam and Glass and How to Train Your Dragon and Detective Pikachu and Endgame and the Jane Silent Bob reboot, which Strawn's top, uh, talked about and Joker, which you've mentioned, Johnson and, it was a very good year for me though and it is technically the one I've seen most recently as well but of the stuff that was released recently in terms of for me anyway because I say not seen anything released this year um it chapter two just killed it mm. for me I'm a massive Stephen King nerd I am a constant reader um and when I first heard that they were going to be doing it again like before chapter one started um (laughs) i was was excited to see it redone because like on audible um it as a book is 40 plus hours and i've physically read that book and i've audible to that book i've spent many hours invested in these characters um and so like when i found out that they were going to be making it to start with, I was so excited, um, but nervous. And chapter one for me was great. And then we found out they were definitely going to be doing chapter two. And I kind of the build up to kind of seeing chapter two for me was, okay, I like what they've done so far, considering the scale of that book and the different stories that run through it, they've managed to get a lot of content in like they've they've been quite generous it was a gift chapter one so chapter two for me I was super excited about seeing it and um bought the blu-ray watched it like a few nights ago literally um and spent most of the film as Strawn will probably be able to back up basically just sit on the edge of my seat like a kid going, oh, my God, they've included that. Oh, my God, that's right. Oh, my God, that's how they look. Oh, my God, that's what happens in the book. Oh, my God, they made that reference. Not even to that point, I had to pause the film countless times so you could just, like, sploosh over the movie. (laughs) Yeah, I can imagine. It's like, I think it's like 1,200-plus pages, it, as a book. Mm. Say, it's 40-plus hours of audible listening that's that's an incredible amount of time to give over to a single text. And so trying to translate that into just two movies, that director, like, dude needs some sort of medal because in terms of content that he's managed to keep in, it's incredible. And the stuff that he couldn't keep in, he managed to, because there's, there's the scene in it that can't be done and he got <laughs> round that. Um, 
and the stuff that wasn't like the I, I was saying strong like for people that haven't read it it's been out for like literally like probably two decades like this isn't a spoiler now it's your own fault so deal with it um but in terms of like the end of it and the fight sequence that the kids and the adults have kind of simultaneously because the book itself is non-linear like it flits between them as kids and them 27 years later on and it flips back and forth the actual end battle with it in the book it's a trip like at some point there's a spider beast and they're going backwards through time and there's a turtle and it's just like somebody's got an enormous bag of weed and gone so this is happening um so it is really trippy and to have to work around that and do what they did there was there was yeah like it in the chapter two at the end they make him like a spider creature which is a direct nod to the books and they include the deadlights and there's just all the way through from start to end it chapter two delivered so hard for me as a huge fan of the book and as a huge fan of the author like Stephen King has a cameo in it and his cameo is perfect and there's extras on the blu-ray where they, they do interviews and um Christ, what's his name that plays Bill? Um, oh, he's the one with the split personality in glass. Oh, oh, um, um, uh, James McAvoy. Him. James yeah. McAvoy. Um, sorry, I had a brain fart. Um, McAvoy. So, is, I was you thinking. Say, you say the. I, I forget the characters' names. If you say the like what they've played before, I can tell you. Mm. I, get, I was I thinking. See, I was thinking Ewan McGregor, and then I realised, wait, no, that's He's Doctor um, Doctor Sleep. Doctor, Doctor yeah. Sleep. Um, but yeah, McAvoy plays Bill Denver, Um and there's a scene where, it, and it's direct from, it's basically direct from the book. It's been copied and pasted and made real, and it made me so happy. Him going into Rose's secondhand clothes, the charity shop, and finding silver, his childhood bike and having this back and forth with an arsehole shopkeeper. And the arsehole shopkeeper is Stephen King. And McAvoy, in this like interview outside of it, said like he'd looked at the script and a lot of the content had been taken out. McAvoy's a fan of the book. And he went, no, like we need some of these, we need some of this bullshittery back in the scene. And he said like it was a really meta moment for him because he was putting Stephen King's words back into Stephen King's mouth for the sequence in the film, and he said it was just really trippy. Um, but it was just like, there was a lot of fan service. You can tell that the director, he, he says very openly in the interviews for the extras and stuff, like he was a fan of that book. He remembers reading that very young and being carried away by it. And you feel that, you watch those two films, particularly I think part two is handled incredibly well because you've got the balance between flashbacks to the kids and bits that you don't see in part one um kind of a little bit gl glossed over to to carry on but not in a way that you feel cheated um and the casting for the adults some of those um actor choices for the adult version of the kids it's uncanny mm. like, um eddie's pick and finn's um finn is the actual actor Richie, uh, Richie, yeah, Bill Hader, yeah. yeah, Bill Hader is, and yeah, he is. That was um, Finn's choice. He like as a as a person, they asked him who they thought would play him as an adult, and he was like Bill Hader. 
because um, <laughs> I'm in love with him as a person because he's awesome and yeah I'd like to be him when I'm older and they that's the reason that guy got that job um but that there's such a lot of love in the making of this film there's such a lot of the canon of the book that's been carried over perfectly and the stuff that they've not had time to put in they've placed in or there's been casual nods and there's been little slight references like Bev saying beep beep Richie it's a throwaway line but if you're a fan of the book you just go oh my god yes yes that's that's the that's the thing and there's whole sequences in chapter two that I've only had in my head for the longest time I think I've read that book like two or three times now but it's definitely at least two I think I've read it a third time um, you lose track with these things and it was just beautiful seeing something that's only ever been in my head visualized with such passion and dedication and love like it was so clear that he was dedicated to if he's going to do this he's going to do it right Bill Skarsgård is an absolute just revelation of Pennywise he is Pennywise Tim Curry was brilliant don't get me wrong but Tim Curry's Pennywise is literally the only redeeming quality of that interpretation oh, yeah. The rest of it is objectively poor. But Bill Skarsgård's Pennywise is terrifying and not in a cliche way. He's not being like aggressive and doing a girl voice and just being a, a cliche villain. He's, he's a legitimate Stephen King entity. He channels what makes Pennywise in the book so terrifying. And it's this sort of it's this nuanced way that he interacts with the kids and it was just I was just I got to the end of it and was just so happy there was stuff I was sad couldn't make it but that's greed I was greedy I've been given so much of this thing that I love that I just wanted all of it but considering the time restraints you know they've had two films they were two fairly long films they got so much of that book in and they did it so on point, like it was just rendered so perfectly where it's a direct, there's, there's whole sequences that are just a direct copy and paste. And I was so, so happy that the sequence in the, the Chinese restaurant mm-hmm. is almost bang on. Um, just a lot of it was just eerie and the stuff that they couldn't touch, they handled in a very intelligent fashion and the stuff that they've changed it makes sense to change it to make it an easier to palette and digest and understand story because some of the sequences in that book are very trippy. So to make it a more understandable battle, I get what they did with the end part. Basically, every time they go into the sewer to fight it, it's you, you've walked away from the book, but they've done it in such a way that you don't feel like you've been cheated out of your story. So for me, like chapter two of it was everything I wanted it to be. There'd been such a lot of, it was like the opposite of there's so much hype that it fell flat. There was so much hype and it lived up to it. It just kept on giving. I can't remember being that satisfied with an adaptation of a book that I cared about since like Fight Club. Fight Club's a perfect adaptation, but that's a much smaller text. So it's, it's if they'd fucked up Fight Club, I'd have been outraged. Um, yeah. Chapter two, it was 
absolutely incredible to the point where chapter one was such a good pull that they got Stephen King in to do a cameo. Like that's that's a a right on Stephen King's seal of approval. He liked the first one so much. He was like, yep, I'll do a cameo. And he stayed there for three days. His scene was done in a day and he stayed there for a further two just to hang out and enjoy himself because he was that engrossed with what they were doing with it. I was just super, super happy with the whole thing. I will watch that film again tomorrow happily and probably just enjoy it more because I'm not reacting the first time and like talking over stuff. <laughs> I, I feel really bad for Strong because watching it, I was just like, oh my God, the whole the whole thing. I got so excited. Yeah, I will got to the point say where I was, one t- thing. I was turning it on and off. Go like, right, just say what you're going to say. It's like, no, it's a nerd comment. I'm like, no, just say it because I can press play again. And then I like spoke at eighty-two miles an hour and got it all out of my system, and then like picked my drink back up and carried on watching. Well, I I, t- I totally get it because I had the same issue with reboot. Yeah. Hence why I was so understanding with like you mm-hmm. know you noticed when, I, when we were watching reboot together, I was like, oh my god, it's so and so. Oh my god, it's so and so. Oh my god, it's so and so. And you're like, oh, they've kept that in. They've taken this out, but they've kept it in. They've taken it out for a reason. It's like you were so passionate yeah. about that. And it was so nice to see because it made me realise that I'm not as big of a dork as I thought I was when that's the other people <laughs> reacting the same way to or other films. You're both. No, I'm a big dork. Yeah. I, but I will say this you've clearly not watched many Stephen King adaptations because he's pretty much in all of them. He's famous for cameoing in pretty much everything he, he's Yeah, written. but he doesn't agree with all the films that he's in. Like he oh, hates no, he doesn't. Kubrick Shine. Oh, yeah. Shinedown, that's a band. Shining. Uh, he doesn't like Shining. He also doesn't like Sleepwalkers. Yeah, because that's why he, uh, he redid um, Shining himself. Yeah, the it just, TV it speaks adaptation. Volumes. Yeah, yeah, it speaks volumes. But the fact that he was so on board with this one, he saw the first one and went, fuck yeah, I'm in for the second one. Yeah. And he, say, like, he stayed on set for three days. And he's only waxed lyrical about the director and what he's done with his work. Like, he's genuinely happy with this rendition. I'd love to have seen the um, him just staying there and someone having to try and tell Stephen King, can you, can, you, can you leave the set of this Stephen King film, please? And he's just <laughs> sitting there going, say that again. It's, it's when McAvoy walks past him and he's like, oh, my God, it's Stephen King. And he's like, yeah. points at him like, Holy shit, Stephen King! <laughs> he gets so excited, bless me, because he's a fan of the like literature. Yeah, he knows the con, like the the reference text. So it's like so nice. It's like a, like again, like just a fan go. Like it's like me seeing like my favorite my favorite rock stars or film stars or whatever. It was I'd so say- nice to see like that in the it setting. Mm-hmm. I'd say for anybody that is that like if you watched it at the cinema and haven't watched it again since. Or if you haven't watched it yet, I highly recommend investing the time in both films. Um, if you do end up getting like the Blu-rays and stuff, watch the extras. It's incredible. Like the the dedication that they put in, like the, the kids wrote letters to their future selves in character, to the actors that were taking on the role as adults. Um, and they hung out and you see them learning how to ride bikes and you see the conversations that like got the actors involved in the first place and the kids really led it in some places. Um, it was just, it was just a complete gift. 
like it's it's a recent ish film for me um and the payoff was extraordinary and then like the extras as well just was a, a massive bow on a gold-plated box for me it was just incredible from beginning mm. to end and then the extras just gave more because you just see how much of a passion project it became yeah it was a, a bigger budget film and it was a commercial film and it was a commercial success but you see all the behind the scenes stuff and you just realize how much it genuinely became like a massive passion project and how close those kids got and then you introduce the adults and the adults were so respectful of the kids like they the kids were doing like they were doing interviews with the kids that that played the, the losers and they were saying that it was surreal having these big Hollywood stars in some places coming up to them going I hope that I do this character justice for you like I'm following your lead like the guy that plays Eddie as an adult very much took all his cues from the way the kid played it but they are eerily similar anyway when you see them kind of just behind the scenes like the, mm. their manner the way they carry themselves is quite similar but like the the adults were like referring to the kids in terms of character like how do we play this out and they were very true to what's already been laid out and it was just you could feel how much time dedication and love had been put into it for me it's just yeah. an extraordinary it's it's the and I I was like what's upon a time in Hollywood was extraordinary I'm a massive Tarantino fan love yeah. that film um, no. Joe Cook's incredible Endgame's incredible Glass brilliant there's been a lot of films mm-hmm. towards 2019 that I watched and was completely enamoured with and left watching feeling like I'd had a genuinely enjoyable experience and the films that I will go back to and watch again and I can't pick fault with them the one that paid mm. out for me was it chapter two so yeah like that I know that I've just ranted for ages um about the second part of a film <laughs> sorry everybody listening at home um I am a massive dog but I just mm. think that sometimes you'll get a film that is linked to source material that you're so passionate about or you love deeply and when it's rendered almost completely faithfully to that source material you can't help but feel like yeah you fucking want that's a big bucket of wind for me like chapter two is tough it was as close as you're ever gonna get it being made into a film almost perfect to the text like that source material was respected and it just made me so so happy like childishly happy with a very adult book (laughs) yeah yeah, I I had the same thing when I was watching um the the latest Godzilla film, the King of the Monsters, because as I said before, I grew up watching all I grew up watching uh, Japanese kaiju films, not just um, the Godzilla ones, but um, Gamera and so on. But with the King of the Monsters, I just I, I must have been so awful to be sat next to when I was watching because I'd been like nudging my wife going. <laughs> And she's like, what? And I was like, oh, never mind. You know, because <laughs> yeah. you can't pause I, I, this. So it's just like, oh, look, they've, the piece of music, Godzilla's theme is actually there. Yay! Or it's just like, oh, look, there's Ang- there's Angelus. And I was like, oh, there's Spiger, but it's not Spiger, it's his own one. But they've given a little nod to him and sort of just going, and it's like, oh, they even called him Monster Zero. Yes! And they had the uh, oxid- 
And they had the oxygen killer from the original 54 film. Oh, my. And I was just nerding out the old ones, just nudging and so on. So, it's the, it's the. And then it's like, yeah. I said to Strawn, like, I'm really sorry. I totally should have been allowed to watch this film for the first time on my own because I'm going to be unbearable. This is like yeah. five minutes into the film and I was like, oh, I'm going to ruin your life. I'm going to be so impossible for the whole of this film because I'm just going to be like, ah, for just the stupidest shit that makes no sense. Like just the, the beaver cap on the gay couple when they get the shit kicked out of them. It's mm. a direct nod from the book. Just stupid, petty details that for me were a massive payoff. Kimber. So, speaking of being unbearable, let me introduce <laughs> our final segment, what I am nicknaming Hype Train Culture. <laughs> Choo-choo! Woohoo! I like it. Thank you, thank Is you. Is that the next stop on the station? It's, it's the final stop on this station, I'm afraid, my friend. <laughs> so, we're going to talk about films that have been announced officially, not rumoured, official announcements, that we are looking forward to, and why. I'm going to lead this off, and I'm going to talk for a long time about four Love and Thunder. Yes, 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 more yes, add some more yes, sprinkle a bit of yes on top, and then add a fuck you on top of all of that, and we're at 100% where I'm at with this film. What damn, I love you, Kimber. Thank you. One, Taika Waititi. I probably said that wrong. Sorry. Two, Chris Hemsworth. Three, Lady Four. I know people don't like Lady Four, but people are idiots. Lady Four is great. Four, Potential for Better Ray Bill. Please give me Better Ray Bill. Four, Potential for Four Frog. Frog Four, whatever they want to call him, I'm on board. Valkyrie. Possible Loki reincarnation. Give it me all. All of it. All of it. I also want the Rock Dude and the Cockroach Man. Again, please. Fair. I know I'm a nerd. I know it's a Marvel film. I know they're going to not probably put Beta Ray Bill in there, which will make me a little bit sad. But they did Ragnarok so well. Ragnarok is the best Marvel film. I will not hear arguments because they're wrong. (laughs) Ragnarok is perfect. The fact that they've shown why TT can do it and they're going, Hey, Waititi, do you fancy making a sequel? And he's like, fuck yeah, mate. And they're letting him do it. They're probably just going to let him go even more fucking mental with it. Which fills me with all the joy. fucking accent, then. Let let the accent slide. It was hard. For God's sake. I I can't not do speak as a New Zealand man without doing a bad New Zealand accent, Sean. Have you not worked with me for the last four years? Come on, man. Get I it. mean, I mean, I'll let it slide, mate. But I, I don't feel comfortable about it. I want that. I want that on record. <laughs> <laughs> to any New Zealand slash Australian, I was offended with my attempt at Taika Waititi's accent. I'm sorry slash not actually that sorry. I love you. I was going to go. Say, I was going to say then. Thank you for making the apology. But he went. I'm sorry, but I'm not that sorry. Their accent's the best accent in the world. I would listen to New Zealand and Australians talk to me all day. Anyway, 
we've left the point of four at four, which is the most important point. Please, please go see the film when it comes out. Marvel don't need the money, but I, I need you to enjoy the film as much as I will. <laughs> it's so nice uh, being excited about it. That's what yeah. good films Good films yeah. are like you should be able to go to the cinema at fifty or eighty, and and a film grab you and make you feel like a kid again, and you get that kid excitement from you when you're talking about that, and it's just that's potential cinema done right, isn't it? That's everything mm-hmm. that you need, something that just grabs you by the throat and makes you happy. This is it. The Marvels. It's this is a small negative tangent, so I'm going to apologise. The Marvels. Phase four slate for me isn't that interesting. The characters are introducing, I'm not that bothered about like Shang Shang Chi and uh, the Eternals. Like I, I don't overly care. So that leaves the films I'm actually looking forward to as four Guardians and um, Doctor Strange. And then they said Doctor Strange is going to be a horror film, and as listeners won't know. Mm-hmm. But you free will. I am a giant coward. <laughs> so I'm I've gone from being really excited to slightly terrified that film's gonna be too scary for me to enjoy. That leaves Taika Waititi saving the day once again. Not all heroes wear caps. Yeah. You say that though, mate, but it's it's, it's Marvel, owned by Disney. It can't be overly scary. It's not gonna be like it's not gonna be like uh, is it Lobo? Are you talking uh, about Lobo? Yeah, like it's not gonna be like that. Like, yeah, it's not gonna be that level of scary, is it? It's gonna be like it's gonna be Disney scary, not. Mm. I still can't watch Bambi to the stage, Sean. Disney scary is still a thing. <laughs> well, just let that. I'll leave that alone. Drawn oh. out. Yeah. Right. And on. And on that in- interesting point, uh, uh, no, yeah, for me, I, I'm excited. What I'm excited for coming up, well, is there's um, there's a, a couple ones. There's Bill and Ted face music, and I'm actually excited that it is just literally they've just done that. They've gone Bill and Ted. Hopefully, it doesn't do a, a Dumb and Dumber two. Uh, but from what I've seen, it should it should be all right. They've they're keeping the the tone. Uh, I'm looking forward to the the Candyman reboot. That should be interesting. And uh, as I'm a absolute massive massive Lovecraft nerd, uh, there's a motion picture version of well, yet another one, but it's uh, actually got a budget behind it this time. It's uh, the Dunwich Horror. It's it's a very, very conceptual one because the um, the actual quote unquote the horror from Dunwich is invisible. So, <laughs> and the final battle uh, takes place. Well, at least in the book, the final battle takes place between um, uh, some uh, scientists and the horror, but on but on a, um, a different hill. And it's all told in the perspective of the um, villagers. Look, each sharing a, a binoculars, 
to see the final battle. And it's like, yeah, this is a very, very conceptual thing because it's all described in, it, it's all described in emotions. It's how the, um, it's it's how the villagers react, knowing that there's this great unknowable evil out there, and they can see that it is battling because you can see trees getting knocked over. The scientists have got this uh, worked out this. Um, substance that they throw on the monster to to at least highlight it so that they can get a bearing on sort of roughly where it is but it's a very conceptual <laughs> fight so i'm but it is by the same bloke that did the color out of space one with nick cage so i'm i'm quite excited to see that because i am a massive lovecraft nerd and just uh, sometimes the adaptations aren't overly great but you get but they've still got the feeling of it at least you get the idea that it is cosmic horror like one of my favorite now favorite films is die farb which is german for the color and i do apologize to any germans who haven't uh, any germans listening and they're like oh yeah that was completely the wrong pronunciation but it's it's all in black and white so that the creature well that it's the the cosmic horror is just is called is the color and that's the only thing in the whole thing that's in colour. Sorry, what? You're all shaking at me. What? No, no. Thank God you mentioned Bill and Ted, mate, because I've been. That was my second choice of this film, like this choice of film. Right. So I was just thankful that they went with the the sequel rather than, rather than the remake, because mm. then I heard a rumored remake back in two thousand five, two thousand six. Yeah, well, it was meant to be. It was meant to be like indie kids, so oh, yeah. no guitar sounds, no phone box, no guitar noise. Like it was meant to be like basically it stripped Bill and Ted of everything. Yeah, I I heard about that and I was so like, thank God they've gone with the sequel. But they were also planning to do the sequel and the remake at the same time at one point <laughs> back in like 2010. So thank Christ they've gone with Bill and Ted face music. So that that is for me. Thank Christ. And they've got the fucking Rupert back. Like, and they can't get Carlin back. And no, Rufus can't be there. Yeah. As we've discussed in, with Bill and Ted. Ed, yeah. Jason and Bob. But thank Christ they're going with the actual fucking storyline rather than going like, I know, we'll make them like Oasis. And oh, go, God. there's no yeah. box, there's no fucking this. And I swear to God, I'd have just, I'd have shit a bungalow. <laughs> <laughs> Not just a brick, I'd have shut the entire bungalow. The whole building, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, I, no, like, thank yeah. Christ, Bill and Ted Face Music is happening. And I'm so looking forward to that. I, yeah. I didn't want to interrupt you, hence why I was just like... Uh, it's it's because I, I could see Kimbo laugh in hysterics, and I could also see you twitching and waving. I was like, oh crap, is my sound off? Have I said something wrong? <laughs> no, what, no, what's no, going no. on? Sound wasn't off. I, just, I was trying to make a point. Like, but I'd let you carry on. But mm. yeah, Bill and Ted, thank Christ, they didn't do it as a fucking reboot. Because if that would have done, if that would have happened, oh, Bill and Ted, yeah. as we as us four know it, yeah, would have been fucking massacred. Oh yeah, it. I, I would have. Yeah, if I'd, 
if they'd gone with the original sort of remake th- sort of thing and just taken out the wild stallions, taken out the phone box and everything, it's just like, well, that's not Bill and Ted. Why don't you just make a different film about musicians that time that travel? Was, that was my point. Like, there was no phone box, obviously no Rufus, no guitar sounds. It's like, are you taking the fucking piss? That is not Bill and Ted. Don't get me started on what Bill and Ted is. That is the foundation, for the most part, of what I think is fucking great music. Mm. I'll end my rant there. I'll let you carry yeah. on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we, were, we weren't shaking at you, darling, but me and Kimbo <laughs> were just basically capitulating as Strawn regressed into an excited two-year-old trying to get his mother's attention. <laughs> and you were just like, yeah. blah, 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 looking at the ceiling, talking about your films in a very articulate way. And Strawn's just, he looks like he's needed to pee for about three days. <laughs> Yeah, so it I got it's, that's the problem when I get when I get talking about st- stuff like that. Yeah, I just don't look. For instance, now, go on, Kimbo. Yeah, my favorite part was when it looked like you were done for a little bit, so it was an ideal time for Strawn to jump in after you'd finished kind of talking about a Lovecraft film, and then Strawn literally was like, ah, and then he's carried on, and I was like, <laughs> this is the best. <laughs> <laughs> Remote recording is so much better than real life recording for these moments. Uh, Which it fucking was. But in, in real time, I would have shot him fucking down right there and I'm like, no, thank you for saying this. Because otherwise, yeah. we'd have to put the fucking remake. And I can't do any more fucking remakes. That's a chapter mm. of the conversation. That's another podcast entirely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You have oh, anything else? Yeah. Basically, yeah, no, basically, I was, uh, yeah, I'm quite looking forward to the Dunwich Horror because it's, it, yeah, I'm also very intrigued to see, as I was saying, very intrigued to see how they sort of do it because it's the the horror itself is is it is invisible, so it's just like, so it's a very, it's more of a conceptual sort of horror. It's this this family are hiding away this creature that grows and grows and grow, you know, grows and grows. And then they keep buying cattle, but they don't produce any milk or beef. And so people get uh, in the village, get a bit suspicious and then stuff starts happening. And then it, it's sort of, so it's, it's, so I am very intrigued to see how you do a film version of an invisible creature that fights people on a distant hill through binoculars. Okay, so but before we carry on, uh, Strawn, do you have anything else to add about Bill and Ted at all? No, just like, thank Christ, I don't do any fucking remakes, because I swear to God, if I saw a Bill and Ted remake, that's me done with cinema, apart from Kevin Smith, because I fucking love him. I'd marry that guy if I had a chance. <laughs> but he's already taken, and I'm pretty sure, like, to quote the man himself, I'd take a shot in the mouth from him, but that's a separate story. That's, that's for maybe another podcast. In case Kimbo beatles that. Back to you, Burns. <laughs> um, in terms of films I'm looking forward to, um, I was like, I was really worried because the the one that I like I'm most looking forward to, I honestly thought that you'd say Johnson, um, and you've not even mentioned it at all. So I don't know whether it's just not on your radar <laughs> yet. Um, but October this year, apparently, um, and there is a trailer out, and the trailer is incredible. Um, Wes Anderson's next film's out, The French Dispatch, and the trailer no. looks. It's there's Adrian Brody, there's uh, Tilda Swinton, there's Bill Murray, there's there's names that we've seen in previous Wes Anderson films. Mm. 
The trailer is beautiful. The sequences in black and white, the sequences in Wes Anderson color palettes, um, yeah. which is a very, very specific thing. Um, yeah. And it just looks, it looks incredible. Um, visually, it looks stunning. The cast is incredible. Um, frankly, I'm always happy to see Bill Murray on the screen because he's a goat. Um, but yeah, like I love Wes Anderson films anyway. I just think they're they're little pockets of joy. Like they're visually stunning. The stories are always yeah. very interesting. They're not necessarily obvious stories, and they're not necessarily told in an obvious way. Um, but he makes beautiful films, and he tells interesting stories in a very interesting way. And I've yet to watch a Wes Anderson film that I've not been completely in love with. And the trailer for The French Dispatch looks like I'm it's going to be a gift again. Like I'm going to come out having watched it and just be happy with life because it exists. So Wes Anderson, as a director for me anyway, is a firm favourite. Like I just love what he does. He's He touches things and magic happens and everything. <laughs> and... Like I like, I love his use of colour. It's so intelligent. Like when I was saying earlier on, like The Little Mermaid gave me an idea of what music can be in a film. Wes Anderson gives people an idea of intelligent use of colour yeah. and how that can influence the way that you perceive a story and how you react to a character and how you react to a scene. Um, he's just a gift that keeps on giving. And we get a new little gem this year. And I, I wasn't aware of it until very recently. And I've watched the trailer a few times now and I'm so excited. I think it's going to be incredible. Um, I don't think there's any way it won't be incredible because it's Wes Anderson and he never yeah. fails to deliver. He's just so consistent in the pure joy he provides cinemat cinematically. Um, so, yeah, French Dispatch, October this year, uh, potentially, apparently, Um so so psyched I can't even express I would like to add on your point mm -hmm. I didn't know this, about this film's existence however I almost mentioned Wes Anderson at an earlier point because a Wes Anderson film made me feel like I could potentially be a cinema nerd and then I tried to watch a film that wasn't Wes Anderson and I realised that ain't, that ain't life for me but <laughs> Grand Budapest Hotel could yeah. I tell you what the film was about? Absolutely fucking not. Could I tell you I enjoyed it? Yeah, that film's with lovely. The, with the marrow in your bone, you enjoyed that film. Yeah, that film's great. Could I tell you anything about the story? Not a fucking clue. <laughs> yeah. It, the story didn't the story has not stuck with me at all. The the visuals and the overwhelming joy I felt watching the film and how much I enjoyed myself has stuck with me. And I think that's a magical thing. And yeah. that's that that's all. Wes Anderson's actually a wizard. He's, mm -hmm. he's, he's pure magic. There's there's very few people like him, I think. He is he's a gift. He's a genuine gift. Like he can do the the, the like real people films where he's filming actual actors in Wes Anderson locations in Wes Anderson costuming in, in, with a Wes Anderson story and it, it works. But then he did Isle of Dogs and <gasps> it's, Oh, that's it's, an amazing film. Oh, it's a perfect film. It's so well mm. told. 
you really engage with the characters. There's a really good balance between the stop motion stuff and actual like hand drawn animation. Yeah. Um, the way that they basically just go from the get go is like everybody's going to talk in English. Deal with it. It was just everything about it was just beautifully handled. He can, he's got well, to, like he can do the animated stuff and he can do the people stuff, but mm. it always feels like a Wes Anderson film. It's I was saying to Strawn the other night, like, um, and it's going to sound off tangent, but I will get back to the point of making a promise. <laughs> as, a, as a reader and as a Stephen King fan, um, there's kind of there's an established fact that there's that there is a universe in which Stephen King's characters live. They all get tied together with the Dark Tower series, but like um, Father Callahan is in Pet Cemetery and is in Dark Tower, and Randall Flagg is in other books, and the stories aren't similar. And no Stephen King book is just a Stephen King by numbers. They're all, they all have their beautiful uniqueness and the stories are all very interesting. But you pick up a Stephen King book and it's like, you know, when like your body aches and you have a hot bath and the second that water hits you, you're like, oh my God, I needed this. Hmm. That's the sensation you get, for me anyway. When I pick up a Stephen King book, I'm like, oh, I'm back with these people that I love. <laughs> Or I'm at least in that universe again. And I love being in that universe. That universe for me isn't always a safe and happy place. I cry a lot when I read Stephen King books because I get very <laughs> because these characters are just so well textured that I get really attached to them. And when shit goes down because he's mean and kills people all the time, um, I get really upset. But that sensation of being in a universe that makes you feel just engrossed in it it's you get submerged by it by these warm soothing waters and you're in that place and you're immediately connected you get that with the Wes Anderson film you put any Wes Anderson film on and you are back in his special little universe and you know from the first two minutes you are about to be in that warm safe place where you're going to enjoy everything that happens, regardless of whether or not you can understand what the actual story was by the end, or whether, uh, you know, the, there are certain characters that are a bit throwaway. You you enjoy the ride with Wes Anderson. Wes Anderson is a, is a director that provides films that you feel a connection immediately because of his style and because of the visuals and because of the way he makes characters in a very unique way, you engage in a Wes Anderson film in the same way I engage with a Stephen King book. It's like stepping into soothing warm waters and you know that you're going to enjoy it. You're never going to a Wes Anderson film thinking, this is a risk. You know that like you're going you're gonna to go see it and you're going to love it. You're going to have a, an experience that makes you feel like it was worth sacrificing time for because... In this day and age, like we're all full-grown adults. We've got personal lives. We've got jobs. Giving up hours of your life to watch something just for the pleasure of watching it or give up hours of your life to read something or listen to an album, that's a, that's a big thing. Like we've Everybody's got really busy lives, and a lot of us just want instant kind of gratification with stuff like that. To actually hand over to somebody your free time is a massive show of respect in a way. Like if you, I, I could go in to a Wes Anderson film blind. I am that convinced that he will kind of respect that respect that I'm giving him. 
I could go into a Wes Anderson film blind and know that he is going to give me exactly what I want from him because of his style is so unique and so well formed and his characters are so well textured and the the this the locations are just they're just such a way Wes Anderson is just he's a safe thing because and and that doesn't mean that it's kind of throwaway viewing don't get me wrong it's not um but you know that with Wes Anderson he is going to work really hard to give you something that is beautiful and perfectly formed and very unique so you can go in blind and just be completely satisfied Okay, so I'll stop being a massive Wes Anderson nerd now and shut up. So, Strawn, is it Bill and Ted? No, <laughs> but I am being a nerd again. So, like, surprise, surprise. Um, in recent days of when we recorded this, there has been news that a certain somebody is reprising their role in a film oh. that I think would happen. And I'm so happy that this film is happening. This is the one I'm excited about most. And it is the Flashpoint Paradox. Yes. Whoop, whoop. And I, like, as much as people can, people can rip on DC all they want about how they've handled their cinematic universe. Can we do you want to go first? And I can, I can carry on after this. It was a joke this time. I just really wanted to say I fucking love you for mentioning this. Yeah. I, like, I'd written all my notes about Four Love and Thunder and then he fucking announced Keaton's coming back and I'm like, you yeah. bastards. Keaton, why are you doing this? Yeah. yeah. Keaton, but he's not playing... He's not. If I, if I know right, Flashpoint Paradox, he's actually playing Thomas Wayne, not Bruce, yeah. isn't he? Well, that's he's playing point. Thomas Wayne. That's no, they're still point, saying like... he's playing a, a different Batman because they're saying they're still getting... What's his face from Walking Dead and for who played Thomas Wayne in the Batman? Yeah, holy shit! If that's yeah. the case, I'm I am more on board yeah. now than ever before because yeah. I wanted Negan as uh, Thomas Wayne and I wanted um, Lauren Cohen as Joker. That would have been fucking perfect. That mm. was that was my cinematic perfect sandwich. Like that but, was meant to be. Is there, it um, going to be? Is it separate? Is it? It's not going to be. It can't be Momoa as um, uh, Aquaman then, because he's because he because it's the king because it's the throne of Atlantis against um, Themyscira. Mate, so mate, who knows? We're getting, we're getting, we're getting what, the Snyder Cut, aren't we? So yeah. the fuck knows right now. Like I don't yeah. care what fucking turmoil DC is in at the moment with cinematic universes. All I'm happy about is that fucking Flashpoint is happening. Kimball, yeah. before I fucking, I'll go off on what. <laughs> So I'm, I'm just going to nerd verse what I, because remarkably, the comic book nerd amongst us went and researched the living fuck out of this film and then picked a different comic book film to talk about. Um, my understanding is that they're doing Keaton as like, um, is it Batman Beyond? The future Batman, where they get the other Old Batman. man, yeah, old man Batman, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So they're getting Keaton to be Batman Beyond Batman. They're getting... Negan in to be Thomas Wayne Batman. They're getting, they're still keeping Momoa and what's her face, uh, Gal Gadot, for mm-hmm. their respective roles. And I, uh, they're Ooh. recasting Iris West, and I don't know what they're doing about Ezra Miller because Ezra Miller's an enigma. Yeah, well, I after. Think- 
it's been cast as Ezra Miller's Flashpoint, so I don't know what, what's happening, because, like, Flash... Ezra is, is the point of contention here. Mm. I've... I've tried to ignore as much as possible. I don't want to hear any bad things about Flash. Like I'll, I will ignore. I will actively ignore <laughs> anything about anyone who's played Flash. So don't ruin that for me. I've not heard any bad things about Ezra Miller. I just know he's. Yeah, uh, no, he has been. been he's been. He's um, been in a bit of trouble for things he said. Oh, uh, he's, 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 he's James Woods, did not he? A little bit. I just he's thought he was... he's been. He's been. I, if I remember rightly, he was saying he, he said something quite. He was either off colour or a bit. So I'll just check. Allegedly, get, yeah, Les. one fucking job to play the Flash. I thought the issue was with with was um, he has been um, saying, "Oh, I'll do Flash," and then taking on other roles. So they've had to delete anything to do with the Flash because he just oh. keeps other things. Yeah, no, uh, it wasn't that he said anything that was right he uh, there's apparently a video out of him um assaulting a woman not sexually just choked her out choked her and got rid of her because she got a bit too close uh during a sort of a thing apparently i'm saying massively apparently because there's a video out there it's in contention if he did do it it's going to be if he did if it goes the way that people are it's going to be yeah it's woods to yeah, I never thought I'd say that as a fucking allegedly. Uh, yeah, I'm saying allegedly. It's all apparent. It's all apparent. Likely, allegedly, there's a video that's released, but that's what I mean. Yeah. It could be a fake. Yeah. It could there's, be there's... misconstrued. It could be anything yeah. that we don't know yet. That's the thing. We li- we live in a world of deep fakes now, so anything can fucking happen. Mm. But my issue is, like, people have said, like, you can't do Flashpoint as the first Flash movie. My argument is that you fucking can because you've got the DC you've got the DC W. Yeah. Which is the, the, the Flash Arrow the, the Arrow Universe on TV. Yeah. They can't write anything of the cinema because the fucking flashed and everything. They've yeah. done they've done it all they, they touched yeah. on it. They touched on Flashpoint Paradox, but they've not done the actual Flashpoint Paradox. Yeah. Just so come in and go here is the actual Flashpoint Paradox. I was so happy about that. Because like I said before, it means that Lauren Cohen is Joker. Negan is Batman. I, I keep forgetting his name. I feel really bad for that because he was in Supernatural. And I love Supernatural. But I think his name's in... Dean. I'm going to call him Dean. <laughs> <laughs> Dean is the other character. In... No, I had Dean's to one of the main characters. Dean. Is he? I'm going to get I'm Nigel not... on it. Nigel? Frank. No, Frank got yeah. sacked, remember? It's Nigel. Yeah, Frank got... Oh, Jeffrey Dean on. Morgan. Jeffrey Told you Dean Morgan. was in there. Told you it was Dean. Well, mm. whatever. Anyway, Negan is playing fucking Tom, uh, Thomas Wayne. The only issue I've got is I wanted Keaton to play an alternate Batman. I didn't want him to play old Batman. I wanted Kevin Conroy. Yes. Play old Batman. Because at the end of the day, like as much as anyone can fucking give me shit for this, I was born in '89. My childhood revolved around the Batman animated series. Conroy is my Batman. Hamill is my Joker. Always will be. Yeah. You can give me shit all you want. You can say like, "Oh, Nicholson, whatever." Like I don't care. 
me personally, that is my personal vibe. But Flashpoint Paradox as a live action movie, for them to pull it off, to, for them to CGI Henry Cavill as an emaciated government project, I'm all in. I want this to lead to him doing other like alternative stories because th- this is the ideal way for him to fuck around. Like, mm. they it's could also go... the perfect opportunity to retcon Batfleck. Yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm less concerned about that. I'm more concerned about more <laughs> interesting things. Like, yeah, but like, that's what my, my point is. Like, this is gives it, this gives them the opportunity to like go. Affleck was in, now he's not. So we'll go this direction with it. And Flashpoint yeah. basically gives DC the cinematic universe like a, a get out of jail free card, and I'm all happy with that. Like, I'm. Again, being controversial, I'm DC over Marvel. Cause yeah. issues, I know. But I am how I am. I just want Flashpoint Paradox as a live-action film. If I see that, I can die happy. I'm excited that Keaton's going to be re- potentially yeah. replaced at least a Batman. Like, Keaton, for me, is Batman. Like, the Tim Burton Batman films are my Batman. So when I heard that, I was deeply excited, but I had a suspicion that Strawn would pick this as his film, so I didn't even go near it. <laughs> Kimbo? I feel like this might have to become a, sol- a whole separate podcast because I've got so much to say. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm going to get some of it out- off my chest now, at least. My concern with this is they've got so many big stories that they failed to adapt successfully to film. And there's so many big stories that they've not even like remotely said they might do. Like, I want to see the Lantern Call movie. Why am I not getting mm-hmm. that? I I want to see Paradox. I want to see Johnson, you're gonna love this. I want to see Red Sun. Where the yes. fuck is my Red Sun film? I want to see a live action an, an, joke film. Yeah. Wasn't the Lantern Call film planned? There was a Green Lantern film planned, but they refused to confirm which story they were going with. That's been all the Green yeah. Lantern call, from what I remember. They, they called it the Green Lantern Corps, but then they didn't cast enough people to make it the Green Lantern Corps. The rumor yeah. was there were only going to be two well, Green I mean, Lanterns. my issue. Like, I love DC and I'll always defend DC, but they have massively fucked up their cinematic universe, and I'll, I'll hold my hands up to that. For Green Lantern Corps to work, you need five lanterns, and they I think they yeah. only ever discussed John Stewart and not the one that Ryan Reynolds played, the other one. The one between uh, Stewart so, and Ryan Reynolds. So not yeah, it um not Hal not Hal. No, not Hal not Stu um Kyle not Simmons, yeah. Can we get nine? Kyle Re- Kyle Rayner. Kyle Rayner, that was it who eventually becomes the White Lantern, so he should really yeah. get the focus of the whole... Oh, yeah. yeah. If they're going to spoof it, they should have... This is a separate podcast. I'm stopping now, because we're going to end up doing a DC podcast. <laughs> yeah. we'll, we'll, and we're and literally we're, just going yeah. to... Apologize. I apologise for bringing this up, but this is a film I'm looking forward to. Because it basically goes, they can... That's their retcon point for me. Mm. They can take retcon, actors out. Well, they can take actors out who don't want to be in it anymore and recast. It's how they connect everything to the DCEU. If you want Joker to be in the DCEU, so you can use Joaquin Phoenix in. Yeah, but they've always Batman. they've already said like they, they said from day one, Joker was separate. Yeah. They said that and it did really well, so we'll see. But yeah. if they wanted if they wanted to do that, 
this is their way in. If they wanted to yeah. do like fucking yeah. Elseworld stories, like like we said, Red Sun being the prime example, they've got yeah. they they can spin off and do that. They've got so many options now. <laughs> if they want to bring if they want to bring in Jared Leto just to kill him off, so they've only got one Joker in their fucking universe, <laughs> they can do that. Maybe yeah. got cross like. I, how is the guy? Like he, I know he takes acting seriously. I'm not a personal fan, but that's my that's my own personal preference. Me, me and Johnson will fucking... defend Jared Leto because we actually quite like him. I know Johnson agrees with me on this one, so I can I can throw him under the bus with me. Well, just yeah, like well, Leto, Leto was. I'm sorry, but Leto was actually, especially if you uh, read the the series it's based on. Yeah, he is that Joker, and he does that kind of. Because he's in this one, he's meant to be more a psychotic crime boss rather than the the insane Joker, and he pulls that off brilliantly. And and they filmed so much and just didn't add it in, which is why people thought it was a bit weird. Because there'd be little bits here and there, and you're like, that doesn't make sense. And you're like, Ugh. anyway, we'll get again. We're... That version of that Joker very well, mm. but yeah. people were not ready for that version of that Joker. Yeah, the yeah. issue is it comes so close after. Ledger's Joker. It's literally the next Joker, and it's so jarring because Ledger's mm-hmm. Joker is the traditional Joker. It's it's literally ripped from every Batman comic you will ever read. Joker, whereas Letters Joker yeah. is a very spe- specific Joker for a very specific story, and it works in that universe they created. But because people are like, it's, he's not Heath Ledger. He's not the Joker. Mm-hmm. It it's done. Fans are done. Please don't be a super nerd fan. Be normal. Be Kimbo. This is PSA. <laughs> what I will say is, it'll be interesting to see why if they go for the Snyder Cut, he run out. Like, if they take the Snyder Cut as gospel, because that's canon. what the fans want. Yes, canon. And then they go from there. Like, if they take the Snyder Cut as gospel, we'll see what happens. We, we don't know what's happened in the Snyder Cut. Mm. So let's let's Wait until next year to wait for the Santa Claus. I'll let you carry on, Kimbo. I was just going to make a one point very quickly. Snyder Point will not be gospel. They will be like, you asked for this. We've given it you. And then when people are like, oh, this is just as bad as Batman versus Superman was. We don't like it. DC will be like, we told you. You asked for it. Yeah, we but gave it you. If it makes, what if it makes the money that they were asking for? Yeah. I know it's going out through HBO Max or whatever the fuck it's called, but if they get enough viewership, they can just turn around and go like, right, we're retconning the the Whedon version. Mm-hmm. It, mate, the other day, it's fucking DC. They're so fucked up in what they've done. And I get why they've done it and how they've done it, but we don't know what's going to happen in the next 12, pardon me, 12 months. The issue <laughs> is, the issue is, they've already filmed Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman is filmed. They've yeah. already. I, I don't know if they started filming or a, a script is finalised for Aquaman 2. They've got the Black Atom film ready to go. These are all going to link into the Whedon cut of, of Justice League, ultimately, because they're all linked into that universe. So for them to retcon, it means they're going to retcon three other films that have already got scripts and are, you know, gearing up, ready to go. <laughs> It depends how they handle those films. Like if they, they take them as standalone films, which essentially Wonder Woman was. Wonder Woman had enough references to Batsby Soups that it made. This is a, this is another 
Yeah, with with tangents. This, this is another hour. I'm looking forward to Flashpoint. Like Flashpoint for me, like Flash is my my favorite DC, my favorite comic book fucking hero. I want Flashpoint Paradox as a live action film. I'll end it there. That's all I'm gonna say. Mm. Yeah, uh, uh, my last point before we sign off. I think the closest I'm ever gonna get to Red Sun was Brightburn. Uh, and but anyway, that's. That's another. That's it. Yeah. So being bright, yeah. mate. So I can't comment. Yeah, I, I, got I really. You've not really good. No, I, I intended on, but I didn't. The end. I really enjoyed Brightburn. It was really good. It was basically. It was basically what if, what if Superman, uh, you know, what if Superman sort of realised his power at an early age, and did what a child would do, because Superman's yeah. very idealistic. It's like, oh, he's got power. He's definitely going to defend the weak. But yeah, he's a child, thing, his like, emotions are all over the place. Like, especially like, given the Earth dynamic of how the Earth actually is, you mm. can't control a fucking child like that. Like, it, it wouldn't fucking happen. Yeah. Like, yeah. I'd like to That's think it would, be, it would be a Superman storyline and, like, he grows up in a fucking farm town. But, and he becomes yeah, a fucking it, They but did basically can, that. Yeah, no. But I did love the fact that they basically did confirm it is in the D. It is meant to be a mirror of the DC universe because they did do right at the end. They did do little news snippets as um, right at the end, and basically they're going, "Oh, hang on, is that that's Wonder Woman? That's Aquaman? That's Green Lantern?" But they're all yeah. twisted versions, and like, that was also, really cool. So Shazam ties in. So where's what's going to happen from here? Yeah. Right. Anyway, that is a whole anyway. other conversation. Yeah. yeah. Right. There. Anyway. All I'm going to yeah. say is, flashpoint. I'm happy. Yeah. It's drawn out. Anyway, yeah, we went off on a, a bit of tangent. We were talking about films and our love of films, and I think if you've been listening, you've noticed we may have a little bit of a passion for films. Uh, uh, but uh, that's uh, unfortunately all we've got time for, mainly because. We've talked so long. I think the recording equipment's running out of tape. Uh, yeah, and that also shows how old I am. But <laughs> so, uh, yeah, if you enjoyed what uh, enjoyed what you've um, heard, do get in contact if you want to give us any ideas. If you just generally want to get in contact, we've got an email of uh, trainpopculture at gmail dot com. We are on Facebook, Instagram, and Tumblr under trainpopculture. And we do, of course, have Twitter of culture underscore train. So if you've enjoyed this, give it a thumbs up or a review or whatever you can, wherever you're watching. And on that note, Skull. Prost. Bonjour. Yeah.